Hello everyone, I hope you're having a great day, and in today's episode of the Exceptional Husband Podcast, we are going to continue our discussion of relationships, and today we're specifically going to be discussing our relationship with our wife and kids. It's going to be good. Welcome to the Exceptional Husband Podcast. This podcast is for the husbands and fathers who are not satisfied with the status quo. You see, to be exceptional means to be rare, better than average, or deviating from the norm. On this journey, we'll look at practical strategies, tips, and even experiments to break out of the usual and surprise our spouses, and at times, even ourselves. You are listening to the Exceptional Husband Podcast. Why settle for average when exceptional is an option? Welcome everyone. My name is Joe Sellers, and I am the host of the Exceptional Husband Podcast, why settle for average when exceptional is an option. So we're going to be talking today, going a little deeper into the topic of relationships. The uh, things that we're talking about are based on a, what I call a three R framework of reps, which are health relationships and responsibilities. And so if you listen to the previous podcast and you get caught up on uh, reps and the first part of relationships. And so today we're going to focus on part two of relationships, and that is our relationships with our family, specifically our wife and kids. And so I do have a couple of passages I want to share with you, and that is out of Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. I'm reading the New Living Translation. And it says, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of this body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his family and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say... Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Ephesians 5, 25-33. And then as we talk about children, the verse I want to refer to is Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And that's Ephesians 6, 4 out of the New Living Translation. So these two passages give us examples from the from the Bible, from the Word of God about how we should treat our wives. So let me back up even a few thousand years here and talk about how God's perfect plan, and and this is my opinion, and there's there's biblical truth that you can find there to support this, but here's here's the way I feel about it. If you look at at Genesis, God's original plan was that, that Adam and Eve were created and placed in paradise in the Garden of Eden, and they were to be towards each other. When you look at the verbiage in the Hebrew, it talks about them being towards each other. When it talks about you know a husband being the head of the family, the head of the wife, well, you got to remember the wife. If if the husband's the head, well, obviously the wife is the neck that turns the head. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean. But basically, the original plan, Plan A, God's perfect plan was that husband and wife would be mutually loving, mutually supportive, mutually respective of each other, and towards each other. So that means that I am better with her. She is better with me. I am not better than her. She is not better than me. But that 
as the two of us come together as one, that we are really better together than we could ever be on our own. And so when you look at the way that we're supposed to, to look at our wives and treat our wives, think about how the if the passage in Ephesians says that we're supposed to treat her like, like Christ loves the church. Now think about that for a minute. Let it sink in. How much did Christ love the church? Well, he loved the church so much that he gave up his life on the cross, even though he was blameless. He died a villain's death, a, a horrible death on a cross for our sins and and to save and sanctify his church. And that's how much he loves the church, and that's how much we're supposed to be loving our wife. So basically what that means to me is that means that I place my wife's needs above my own, that I place her first in my life. So now the overall picture of relationships, we already clarified in the last episode, you know, God obviously comes first in my life. God should be the one who meets my deepest, deepest needs. If I try to have my wife meet my deepest needs, then there could be some uh, definitely out of balance there, but God meets my deepest needs. But then he has blessed me by giving me this helpmate in my wife to be towards me, to be a helpmate for me, for us to help each other and to mutually love and respect each other. And so that's why it is so awesome when I put God first and then the very next person on that list is my wife. She is the queen of my life. She, um, I, I treat her with respect. I do not raise my voice to her, even if I'm frustrated with her. And so I treat her as royalty because she is. She is the queen of this, of this household. She is the queen of this home. And so I respect her. I love her unconditionally. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how she is acting or reacting. I should always show her that love and respect as my wife. And I should honor her with that. And, and really just honor is huge because one thing that I, I really work at is um, I, I'm not a fan of sarcasm anyway with anyone. But guys, here's here's one, one little tip to file away as you listen to this. I want to encourage you, don't ever belittle or make your wife the object of a joke with anybody. Really not even to, even to her. It's, it's not really good to joke around with her because you never know how deep something might go. You never know how uh, much something might hurt her. But guys, listen, absolutely off limits. Don't ever throw your wife under the bus in a joke around the guys, with locker room talk, with family or friends around. Just don't, just don't, even, don't even go there. If you want to, you know, see some examples of that, my wife and I have been catching up on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. So there's some great examples of what not to do there. But, but I just encourage you, don't ever disrespect her by making her the butt of a joke. Like I said, really, even to her, to her, just between you and her, but especially around other people, do not dishonor her or discredit her or or put doubt in anyone's mind that she is anything but uh, just your absolute choice jewel in your life. So, so that might sound sappy. And I know some of you might say, well, yeah, but you don't know my wife. You don't understand how difficult she is. So let me let me explain what I believe is a principle of the universe. And, and that is, one of the principles of the universe is that, that the way we treat someone or something is how it's going to be reflected back to us. You see, to a large extent, the things around us, are all, they're really kind of like mirrors. So a person, um, the way I treat them is going to be reflected back to me in the way that I am, if that makes any sense at all. Because you see, here, here's the thing. If if I respect my wife, even if she's disrespecting me, if I maintain that respect for her, 
then guess what? That is going to be reflected back to me eventually. I really believe that because it really is better to give than to receive. And I really do believe that as we give, that there's like, basically, I guess you could call it a, a law of reciprocation that when we give, it's going to be given back to us. And now, of course, as always, check your heart, check your motivation. It doesn't need, I give so I can get. And I know in a marriage that can be, you know, don't, don't treat it as a tit for tat relationship. Don't treat it as a business arrangement. Don't treat it as a, a bargaining tools like, okay, I did this. Now you need to do this. When you simply give without expectation, when you love unconditionally, you will be amazed at how your wife will change. Because here's, here's the bottom line. I know this may come as a revelation to some of you, but you cannot change your wife. Let me say that again. You cannot change your wife because to be honest with you, the only one that can change your wife is the Holy Spirit. And even that has got to come with her saying, yes, I want to change and being willing to change because you and I both know we have seen people around us our whole life. And we've been that person ourselves to where everything is set up for change. And we say, no, I don't want to change. And so all that has to line up. So the Holy Spirit is one who's going to change her and she has to be willing to change. But what we can do is we can be an absolute positive influence on that. We can be, if you would, we can set the the atmosphere. We can set the environment to help that for that change to come easier. When we treat her with respect, when we love her like like none other, and, and then when we don't disrespect her in front of other people. So I encourage you, treat your wife the way you would want to be treated. And you can fill in the blank there. If you want her to touch you more, well, maybe try touching her more. If you want her to say kinder words to you, then say more kind words to her. The way that you want her to treat you, treat her that way. And like I said, the real key to that is do it without expectation of, of getting something back. When you, do, when you just hold it with an open hand and you give her a gift of kind words, of touch, of, of meeting her needs the way her, that she wants her needs met, not the way you want to, to have them met, when you hold that with an open hand and you don't expect something in return, you'll be amazed at how much richer your relationship with your spouse can be. So that's, that's one part of that. The other part of that, of course, are kids. And, you know, it says don't uh, provoke your children to anger. I believe there is a balance there to where we need to guide our kids. We need to instruct them. Uh, we definitely need to instruct them in the Word of God. But the biggest teacher that, that they are ever going to have in their life is going to be you and your life and your example. Because you see, you can take them to church every Sunday. You can send them off to a youth group. You can, you can have them read the Bible every day. But if you're not living what is being taught, then you could end up being the biggest hypocrite in their life. And that can really make growing for them difficult. That can really make them um, so much so much harder to grow in the Lord, to grow in strength, to grow in wisdom if you're not setting an example. So for your kids, once again, it's that mirror thing again. But it's going to be all about setting the example for them. It's going to be about practicing what you preach. Because I promise you, kids are not stupid. Sometimes people think that they're just dumb, but listen, kids can see through smoke screens quicker than you ever know, quicker than you realize. They can see right through the fakeness. They can see right through the smoke screens and they know when someone's not being straight with them. So the biggest thing you can do for your kids is set the example in your own life. Lead by example, lead them by example. And one thing I want to encourage you with too, that, that I've seen over and over again is I know back when I was a youth pastor, I remember hearing the statistic that 
that sometimes as many as two-thirds of young adults will leave the faith, leave the church after they graduate high school, and especially if they go off to college, because what happens is they've been living in mommy and daddy's house for their entire life, and if you're not careful in our desire to love them and our desire to want what's best for them, we can literally spoon-feed them and micromanage them. We can tell them what to do. We can tell them how to think. We can tell them when to think. We can tell them where to think. And so we can guide them so minutely in detail that when they actually leave the house and go off to college, they freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, mommy and daddy aren't here to tell me exactly how to do and what to do and where to do and when to do. So what I want to encourage you with is I heard a teaching one time from someone that said, if, if you want to know two key phrases in, in raising kids, uh, he said, theoretically, you could even tattoo them on your arms. Not, I'm not recommending that, of course, but, you know, so to speak, treat it like a tattoo on your arm to say, when, when you're presented with something to where your child has a decision, say, what are you going to do about that? And the second question is, how's that going to work out for you? And so that's kind of a, a over, almost an oversimplification of what you need to do is help your kids learn as early as possible, at the youngest age as possible, how to make decisions. Because you see, I believe in this life that most of the mistakes that we make in our life, I know in my own life, for certainly, the mistakes that I make in my life, they have come about when, when I didn't pump the brakes long enough to think about a decision. I simply made that decision. I I jumped off the cliff uh, metaphorically, and and I regretted my decision. And if I would just taken a few more seconds, even to make a decision to think it through, then I may not have had such a, a negative outcome. And so, as early as you can with your kids, part of not provoking them to anger is to help them make their own decisions. Don't just make all their decisions for them, but really help them walk through. You know. Okay, well, what are you going to do about that when they're presented with a problem or a decision or something they're, they're not crazy about? Well, what are you going to do about that? And then when they tell you, well, I'm going to do this, then say, well, how's that going to work out for you? So what it's doing is it's teaching them to stop and think about options, it's stopping to think about what are some other things that they could do with that. And then right after that, then it's teaching them consequences. Because you see, in this world today, most people or many people, they don't take time enough to think about their consequences because if they did, if they took just long enough to think about what the outcome of those decisions are going to be, they would probably make a different decision. And so that's a great way to raise up your kids is by, by teaching them to make decisions. And you can start this at like two and three. I mean, you can start it super young. I know of uh, people who have started this when they're really little. And we're even trying that with our, our nine-month-old to even start talking to him now. And, of course, he can't make decisions right now. But, but it starts even now with everything I've just said. So, wives and children. So now let's, let's put the two of those together and talk about something that's universal for both of them. So... In this day and age, the there is a new way that you spell love with your wife and your kids. Now, used to, you know, people would say, oh, well, I spell love, T-I-M-E, time, time with my wife and kids. That's how we spell love, time together. But because of today, uh, that's slightly changed because we have these powerful WMDs, weapons of mass distraction, that are around the world in social media and television and news and 24-7 flows of media that now instead of just T-I-M-E being the way that you spell love, really the new way to spell love in today's age is A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N, attention. Because you see, I can spend time with my spouse in a restaurant 
at the table and have my mobile device in my hand scrolling Facebook or other kind of social media. And she could do the same. So that is time together, but that is not attention together, and it's by no means quality time together. So what I want to encourage you with is that in this day and age when we have never had more distractions in the history of the world, I mean, you have to understand, that that little cell phone you carry around in your pocket, that has the computing capacity of a 1980 supercomputer in your pocket, and you basically have all the information known to mankind in that little phone in an itty bitty living space. And so, of course, it can be a massive, massive, massive distraction. So, and I and I gave the restaurant example. I know you've seen uh, folks at restaurants where the entire family has a mobile device out. My wife and I ate at a restaurant lately, uh, recently, and we were sitting next to a family. It was a mom, dad, and a daughter. They literally, I don't think they said a single word to each other the entire time we were there. It was, it was sad. They were all on their mobile devices. So here's some practical suggestions to help um, create a more attention and that time spent together. And so I encourage you to, to create some tech-free zones at various places and times in your family. So here, here's a few recommendations. One is at the dinner table, whether it's at home or a restaurant, no tech, no, no mobile devices. Keep them away. Don't take them out of your pocket. Don't take them out of your purse. If you want to get really extreme, you could leave them in the in the car. But but no mobile devices, no electronics at the dinner table. Like I said, whether it's at home or restaurant. And then another place is in the bedroom. Now I know if you're like me, you use your your cell phone as a, as an alarm clock. So I have to have a little extra uh, motivation to and and discipline to not use it. But still, uh, if you really want to get even better it'd be great to not even have it in your bedroom because there's there's two reasons there you know we talked about sleep earlier in one of the other uh, podcasts well if you have that mold device glaring in your face right before you go to bed there are studies that have proven that you're not going to sleep as well so that's one thing and obviously it's a little hard to have intimacy with your spouse if your face is glued to a mobile device so i encourage you in the bedroom make it a tech-free zone and then now husbands Put down your phone and listen. If your phone, if your spouse begins talking to you, lay your phone down. Put it face down on the table, and I and I hope it's in not even on vibrate. And give her one hundred percent invited attention. You know, I, I just saw the the dad joke that someone posted the other day. Um, that all of a sudden my wife yelled at me. Uh, I don't understand why you never listen to me. What did I just say? And I thought to myself, well, that's a strange way to start a conversation. So he hadn't even been listening. So he did miss everything. So I encourage you, put the phone down. If your wife starts talking to you, put it down. Uh, the other place that's good to have tech-free zones in, for your family is in church. I talked about leading by example. If if you go to a church, then you know, you're there to learn. You're there to grow in the Lord. So leave the tech alone. I know that we have our Bibles on it and take notes on it, and I understand that. But as much as possible, and definitely don't be opening up social media in the church, you know, that can wait till afterwards and set that example both for your wife and for your kids. So I encourage you also one, one last tip here is I encourage you when you come home at night, go ahead and set aside five to 10 minutes at least, maybe longer to just sit down as a family and reconnect. If, if you or your spouse, both of you have been away at work or at school and, and you come home, your kids have been at school and y'all come back or they've been at a sitter or something, something like that. I encourage you to take some time when you first get back together in in the evening, 
uh, when everyone comes back home, take some time to sit down and just have some family time. Actually ask each other, you know, how was your day and show interest. Don't just, like I said, don't sit there on your phone, make it a tech-free zone, but take some time to focus on your family. So a couple of reflection questions that you can ask yourself is, how would you explain your relationship with your family right now? And then the second one is, what are some steps you can take to improve your relationship with your family? I hope this has helped you, and uh, we will continue our discussion in the next podcast in relationships. But uh, go ahead and share this with someone. If you know someone could really benefit uh, from it, I encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. And I look forward to talking to you next time on the Exceptional Husband Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Exceptional Husband Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by Today for a Better Tomorrow Life Coaching. I sincerely hope you found encouragement and fresh ideas were sparked for you to grow more today. If you'd like more focused help in becoming an exceptional man, husband, and father, check out www.t4bt.us. That's t4bt.us. Click on the Book a Clarity Session button to schedule a conversation with me to see if personal coaching might be something for you. For this first call, I waive my usual fees just to get to know you better and see if we might be a good fit for me to help you on your journey. Once again, that's www.t4bt.us. Thanks again for listening, and remember, yesterday is gone forever and tomorrow is out of reach. All you can change is today.